Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science. We'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Guess what? Today is going to be a serious podcast. And I'll tell you where it started and why it's serious. It's not about me personally, it's about information I've received that many of us have received. We are now, as of Monday, which will be March 1st, will then be a year, actually it's this week, a year ago, was the beginning of the first reports of COVID and having to shut things down and having people stay inside. And you had a version of calamity that was controlled or not controlled, depending how you look at the whole situation. But you had students that didn't have normal years. Think of all the high school grads that didn't have their celebrations and so on and so forth, or the sports that couldn't take place. That's what we know. And let alone families have had all their structure redone. Who stays home to take care of the kids when the kids are young enough? Yes, it's all homeschooling now. And they had the virtual that sort of sprang up and was, thank goodness it was there. But it all wasn't what they call it, rainbows and unicorns. It was uh, an ongoing set of problems and different kinds of problems in different contexts. The one problem that I'm going to focus on that came up in the New York Times yesterday was the suicide rates that were on the rise. And so I read the article and it's and I just sort of copied and pasted a piece of it to myself, and I guess I'll, I'll read that a little bit. It says, suicides on the rise. For many, the isolation of the pandemic opened a Pandora's box of mental health issues, exacerbating the pressures on some of the most vulnerable members of society. According to the surveys of young Americans coming into emergency rooms, rates of suicidal thinking and behavior are up by 25% for more or more from similar periods in 2019, now about two years ago. In Japan, job losses, urban isolation, and household burdens have compounded societal pressures, leading to a troubling spike in suicides by women. There is a number of other related articles from other journals in the last couple of weeks, anyways, and, and newspapers. So it's not a new issue, and I'm glad it is being covered. It's one of those things that are just not talked about. And there's many ways, many reasons for people to think about suicide when 
they've lost their job and they can't, they're, they're, they did not get any unemployment assistance or they were taken off the rolls or the children that used to go out and be able to run outside can't. In fact, some of the stories were about children that were bright and active and so on and so forth that it just worked inwards that they couldn't cope and they started losing interest in a lot of their activities. So where am I going with this and why would I care to cover this? You know, what does this have to do with the ketogenic diet? And I think the reason I got into the ketogenic diet obviously was for my own health. So that was a pretty serious issue. So it wasn't just, hey, let's all do this. It's the next trendy thing. No, I was looking for something absolutely that would move my immune system into a more positive direction. And it did that. And consequently, I felt somewhat obligated to look into why was that the case? How, how could it be so profound? Along with other things that I was doing. One of the things that come with, especially with kids, and you could say, well, hyperactive kids, and I'm not going to do so much about genomic references now, but for somebody like me who was severely dyslexic and knowing what the spectrum's like, no, I'm not autistic, but knowing that we're the culture we live in now, this being the United States has a far higher percentage of autistic kids, and there isn't just one path to autism, which I've said before. However you come to this understanding, that is not a fictional reference. It's true that they are a far larger number of these kids, and many of them have to be institutionalized. They can't live at home all the way up through adulthood. So what is one of the things that uh, you can even take a lighter form of that ADHD, hyperactive attention deficit disorder. And we saw many kids like this. And so how do you bring them back? Initially, 20 years ago, when this phenomena was starting and autism, there was medical approaches to autism and ADHD was certainly part of this larger context of hyperactive kids. It's the hyperactivity that I'll be focusing on today. This is where I'm segueing. Is it so what is all that about? How did they get here? Well, back then in the 90s, we focused on what their diet was like, but primarily we focused on the additives, the chemicals, certainly the casein and the glutamine. And outside of the dairy and outside of the wheat and wheat products or gluten products, it was about added chemicals, which you could never really get to the bottom of because of the whole food labeling law in the United States, you had to build a consensus around people reacted to certain foods in addition to the information, of course, that you found on the label that would give you a list of a lot of things that were in the food that obviously were not natural. They're there as preservatives to extend self-life, color, and taste, supposedly. So that was the context then. And so what we were looking for, we were looking for things that the child or the person doesn't necessarily have to be a child was reacting to that was just setting him off into kind of a blind, excitatory episode that may last for a couple hours, may last for a day, and it even will launch psychological disorders such as obsessive compulsive disorder or bipolar. Now we're getting back into that. So there was a trigger that kind of launched this thing and away it goes. And then the question, of course, is how do you pull it back? And there's many layers to that particular answer. The pharmaceutical and conventional medicine side will say, well, 
you try these various medications to keep them from harming themselves. They're all very practical approaches in that regard. However, going forward now, the idea of a ketogenic diet, it doesn't have to be the classic ketogenic diet that was used and developed from the, the 20s under Russell Wilder and then Dr. Penniman. But the idea is if you can get into some, if a child, if this individual can get into some level of ketosis, which means reducing the carbohydrate part of their diet by a lot, maybe even completely to zero, you then have created a nutritional ketosis. So someplace between 0.5 and 3, 4, 5, 6 units, I forgot what the units are of ketosis, of ketones in your blood, will be a transformative state. Because this, because ketones do cross the blood-brain barrier, because ketones are calming on the brain, because ketones only get into the brain, if you really want to be specific, we can say astrocytes and so on, but let's just call it brain cells, nerve cells of the brain. That that depends entirely upon the concentration of ketones, which means the degree of ketosis. This is true for epilepsy, it's true for all these conditions. However, you don't have to be to epileptic size, and I didn't mention anything about high fat. The fat is sort of an option of one has no fat, but basically it's about the carbs. Let's stay focused on dropping the carbs as little as possible. So what happens then? So you get the ketones in and it gets, okay, that's a good thing, I guess, but um, so that means it's in lieu of glucose. Okay, so where are we going here? Well, where we're going is that the ketones actually helps GABA to, which is a very calming. So you think of benzodiazepines, that's basically a medication that hits your GABA receptors to stimulate GABA production, and it calms you down. So what's the opposite? And you'll find that there's a lot of pairing of neurotransmitters. So the opposite of GABA is glutamate. And so you have a seesaw. So back to these kids primarily, and looking at their diet back in the 90s and early 2000s, is that a lot of the chemicals that are in processed foods are GABA-rich. So you also heard about uh, oriental food, that uh, glutamate is one of their additives. And so a lot of foods that we have and a lot of additives that are put into processed foods contain glutamate. They don't contain GABA. And so they're very pro-excitatory. So if you have a person, a child, that already has a predisposition predisposition will go into, but I'll say categorically it's about genomic things, and we will get into that, not here on this particular podcast today, but later, and nutritional deficiencies. So it just throws them into this excitatory, you know, they, they love to watch things that are spinning, they're, they're running around the room, and they just can't stop. They can't pull themselves out of this contrived behavior that is locked into just more and more stimulation. So GABA is the opposite of that. So apart from that sort of induced, artificially induced, I say artificially induced because that's about uh, processed foods and so on, how you can have access to GABA without having to do benzodiazepines and other similar uh, medications is actually meditation. So meditation slows down the conversion to 
glutamate and increases the conversion to GABA or the production of GABA. So you can calm yourself down. Yeah, it's a discipline thing, but I'm just saying this is something, this is why it is smart as most of us grew up when you got a little out of hand, your nursing school, a kindergarten teacher or whoever, or your parents said, Carl, time to go sit in that timeout chair and think about why you broke that window for the 14th time. <laughs> um, and I was a very hyperactive kid. They were worried about me. Um, but like other children too. So just that little, hey, let's separate them from the activity, tell them to sit, would increase GABA and decrease glutamate. And it would give me a degree of reflection. Obviously, other things you can do, acupuncture and so on and so forth, but that goes in a whole different direction. But you, you get that balance now. You get that seesaw of these two particular neurotransmitters. So what does that have to do with suicide? You say, well, suicide is, wouldn't suicide be too much introversion, too much thinking about? Not necessarily. I think that I am no specialist on this, but speaking from when you have a brain that is pro-glutamate, it's very excitatory, and it has no outlets, it kind of works backwards on itself. And in Chinese medicine, they call it liver chi stagnation. So it is a thing. It's boxed-in energy that doesn't have a way of expressing itself. And for those who have a propensity, kids that have a propensity of being even more hyperactive, they're going to have even a greater, a greater effect of this. And so what would you do? Where do ketones come in? So GABA, ketones is kind of remarkable. I mean, the thing about ketones now is you can get there through various levels of the ketogenic diet, which you mean, which I mean, dropping your carbs. And also you can take ketones, exogenous ketones. These did not exist, what, five years ago or six years ago? I remember at the very early metabolic therapy conferences, talking to Patrick Arnold and so on, who helped develop these. You know, you could actually shovel this stuff in as poorly tasting as it was. And so we've gone from that, which has been better tasting now, haven't had it for a long time, to now you have esters, which were developed in the last couple of years, which are all the rage, which are even faster. But the point is that there is something either dietarily you can do, and even this would be one of the cases that I would say you could start with small doses of exogenous ketones together with, also you can certainly use C8, right? Caprylic acid triglyceride. That's within 15 minutes. Put that on the food as, as kind of a halfway step towards exogenous ketones. And you will find there is, it's not just a calming and that you've put this person in a, a comatose. No, not at all. You've made this person feeling very self-fulfilled. I would say the ketones do have a drug-like effect as, as long as I've been experimenting with them through these various different levels that a little is good, you just want a slight shift. And so that's why when people shift into a ketogenic diet, they become more optimistic. They don't become manic anymore. They become positive-minded. And so it's, it's the balance. It's not like the opposite of suicide is mania. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the opposite of suicide is reasonableness and having a core of optimism. So when that shift takes place, things like schooling from home, which sounds like it will be over soon, are received better, are more functional, better able to do and to participate, even though it is not running around outside either for recess or as you get up in the 
even through high school, you know, up through lack of sports, at least that keeps you in a place that's more positive than otherwise by a very big deal. I mean, you can even measure blood levels if you want to go that far. So we've taken it from a drop the carbs and get the carbs out is a big deal. So if I was to go back to, and this is now hypothetical, if I was to go back and to visit many of these homes that had these suicidal kids and looked at their diet, you can bet that it would be a high carb diet. And in part that would be become because come out of the fact that, well, they're home all the time and the food is much more accessible, but I'm sure it would come out of the fact that it's the parents feeling badly for their kids. Like, well, you know, all these other things they can't do, at least they can have some fun food around. Well, the fun food around would be all the garbage, unfortunately. So the, the nice gesture, the good intention gesture leads to potentially a bad outcome. It leads to, forget about the, the elevated blood sugar, which may or may not be true, that you just have to measure. I mean, I think things like glucometers and ketometers would be excellent if you didn't bother the kids too much, you know, but that would give you a reading of where you are. So there is a physiologic, or if you will, a biochemical level to being positive minded in the ketogenic diet or being into some level of ketosis, which is very low now. I would argue that in using, I'm all over the caprylic acid triglyceride. You make your mayo with that. You can put it on your food, your meat. You can put it on your salad and you're getting this extra ketogenic boost. And that with taking away your processed foods would be remarkable. So you would see a transformation is what I'm trying to say from these kids. So in my hypothetical visits to all these homes, I'm sure this is what I would see. You know, let alone the ideas there's a package of candies here and there's a package of candies there, the whole kind of pre-diabetes approach that is kind of the standard American lifestyle today. So removing all these things and making food more enjoyable, make food more natural, but carb, very low carb or carb less, and having your levels of access to ketones. Your levels of access to ketones are first dietary, then through MCT oil, preferably C8. C10 also has, so if you're looking at coconut oil, that's C8, C10. That's a little slower to convert and all the way down to exogenous ketones, which you can buy on Amazon for better or for worse. So ordinarily, I'm against the use of exogenous ketones for most of us, unless you're worried about dementia and Alzheimer's and and really strategic uh, conditions and states of metabolism that you really have to boost it in a whole nother way. So other than that, I'm not a big fan of exogenous ketones, but here you have it. You have three things. You bring that into your home and it's a tremendous difference. So this heavy burden of increased suicide rates in our country and other countries too, it was so unnecessary. It is so unnecessary. This is how I would take care of it. This is how it would be if Carl ruled the world, right? This is something we all can do. You can you can go right down to your kitchen right now and toss out all the carbs and begin with your kids together or whoever is most affected and start there. And then you can think about MCT oil, the C8, caprylic acid triglyceride. Then you can think about, and I wouldn't jump to exogenous ketones. You can use them. You can sprinkle them in however you want to use it. Some are liquid forms like the uh, esters, which taste terrible, but they have an effect. But you can work those things in. You can even add a little bit to your mayo, so to amp things up in addition to your C8. 
I wouldn't go too far because we have, speaking from experience now, if you take your exogenous ketones and you do your C8s, you more than likely will have uh, what they call bowel disturbance. You'll have loose stools. So go slowly. The the more natural approach is the MCT oils, of course. But if you have too much oil of any type, you're going to get loose stool. So put it on food. Put it on food first. And in terms of alcohol, I mean, the other thing about the suicide rates that have gone up is that you found increased in addictions, of course. And, and, and in parts because think of all those ad- people who that are trying to work away from addiction, whether it's processed food addictions or alcohol addiction, or it's, you know, the Al-Anon, the... Alcoholics Anonymous and all the association groups, they no longer can meet. So these people that really wanted to make a step away from their tendencies as they recognized them couldn't get out and be part of their treatment. So they were even more cooped up. So for these people as well, and you'll find that if those who are in ketosis, right? So from 0.5 to something higher, and you do have alcohol, it's actually going to increase your ketosis and you'll feel it. And as then I we referenced that when I was talking to Doctor, uh, the interview here on the podcast with Doctor Christopher Palmer, is that he thought that that was an acetone, which is one of the three ketone bodies, right? Beta hydroxybutyrate, acetate, and acetoacetate. That that was an acetone rush, so up to your lungs or whatever, and so you felt that, but you do feel that. Not that that's a high or anything that's desirable. It's not bad either, and it passes very quickly. But I would think about these means and putting them in because it's going to serve a lot of people very well. It's anti-addiction in a way. And the other thing about GABA, GABA in itself is anti-addiction. You can say, well, wait a minute. Aren't benzo- benzies, benzos addictive? Yeah, that's a medication. And the problem about taking that medication is it really clamps on to the receptors, the GABA receptors, and it's a lot harder to get off of benzodiazepines because you have to wait for the receptors to remodel themselves, that do it a little more naturally as you move into something that's a little more pro-GABA. It has a lot to do with reconnecting your prefrontal cortex, should you want to know, which is where you have all your executive functions. What are your executive functions? Your executive functions are the ones that say, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Call it re- I call it reflective functions. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe what I could do next time is, and that sort of thoughtfulness, that that remodeling of thoughts, a remodeling of behavior, that rumination of how life could be happens in your prefrontal cortex. So it's pretty important. So all these little things are actually big things. So certainly we'll go into levels of the whole genomic genomic predisposition. I, I like going there, but I also know that it's such a, a structure that underrides this. So this as dietary, as supplemental, supplemental being MCT oil, even exogenous ketones, is a place that people have access to for themselves to keep them away from the dark part of suicidal ideation, of acting on it. It's just, it's really hard to hear about this and know about this reality, which is kind of intuitive at the same time. Which people can help themselves, but they can't, you know, just put this out there. So I'm hoping there's enough of homes that are hearing this and people that know that this is something that they can apply to those situations. We'll get into two other levels of talking about it. Pretty much how I talk about our program. This has nothing to do with our program. This has to do with 
spreading an awareness of where you can look to make it different for you because you're not a crazy person. And the hyperactive kids and adults are not crazy people. They had different issues when they came into the world, but we can help them and we can help ourselves. So that's the podcast for today. Hope it wasn't too much of a downer. I meant it for it to be very optimistic. There is something. I mean, talk about something you can do that is against suicidal ideation that can drop suicide rates. This is a big, big deal. It's always a little bit dangerous in the sense of, you know, like when you say these things can treat OCD or, you know, mental disorders that, well, what happens when that particular person doesn't follow that particular plan? That's where the risk is. And that's why it's the same risk with medications. When they stop taking their medications, they revert to however they were and they get dangerous again. So too, you could say with this sort of approach, but I think this is a little more, if they get this into the routine, this is how they eat and so on and so forth, at least it's another layer you can bring to them and be very optimistic about it in its effectiveness. So until next time, Dr. Goldcamp, bye-bye. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they're overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview, or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email, and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.